Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt SEO, my name is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, we have Camilla Russo. Hi, this is Camilla Russo. I'm the author of The Infinite Machine. A story of the Ethereum network from conception to the future. Welcome to the show. Happy Friday, July 17th, 2020. On Fridays, we do our long form podcast. Monday through Thursdays, we try to stick around 15 minutes to bring you the daily news. But on Fridays, it's op-eds, opinions, commentaries, and great interviews with people in the space. And I'm very looking forward to today's conversation with Camelia Russo. I am a financial reporter who have been covering digital assets, emerging markets for the past almost decade. Before being full-time crypto, I was a Bloomberg reporter in New York, Madrid, and Buenos Aires. Wow! Before we get into the chat, please remember to subscribe, like, share, and comment on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. It helps us stay visible and it helps people find the podcast so they can have access to daily crypto news and, well, in my honest opinion, a great podcast. But before we get into this conversation, let's update those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And we're up just very slightly across the board. It looks like the market is recovering from yesterday's shock with the whole Twitter hack. Bitcoin is at $9,154.54, up 0.35% from yesterday. Ethereum is at 233.34, up just a smidge from yesterday. Litecoin at 4206. Bitcoin Cash at 224, up a half a percent from yesterday. And XRP is up 2.2% from yesterday at 19.6 cents. And now without further ado, here's my chat with Camila Russo, author of The Infinite Machine. Enjoy. Hi, Cammy. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Look, I was just reading this article published on Decrypt.co about your new book, The Infinite Machine. I want to know all about it. It's a story of Ethereum, the history, what happened during the ICO bubble, what happened with the founders, what happened during the DAO, and even going into the future of Ethereum and Web 3.0 and F2.0. But before we get into that, I want to know, why did you decide to sit down and do all the work to write about Ethereum? To start writing a book is something I had always wanted to do. After reading Truman Capote and Michael Lewis, I knew I wanted to write a nonfiction book that kind of read like a novel. So I was like always on the lookout for an interesting story and, you know, in a space that I could really make a good contribution. And so... Throughout my career, you know, like I said, I've, I was covering emerging markets for a while and so thought about writing up about Argentina, but it, it didn't really feel right with, you know, I was reporting on, on the country for um, around four years. It felt like there were so many um, kind of veteran journalists in Argentina that it didn't feel like I could write kind of the, a story on, on the country. Uh, by the way, in Argentina, was the when I first became interested in crypto, I was there 
2013. And that's when I wrote about Bitcoin for the first time, uh, seeing how people in Argentina were protecting against inflation and currency controls and uh, became very interested in this parallel monetary and financial system. So anyways, uh, fast forward to 2017, I was still at Bloomberg in New York. I was writing about macro markets and I had kind of the flexibility of writing about whatever felt interesting. And crypto was blowing up that year and I started writing about crypto um, and ICOs and what was going on uh, with the market. And it was such a crazy, um, fantastic bubble and year that by the end of the year, I thought, you know, this needs to be documented. It's incredible what I just saw, like this space like really blew up. I thought, you know, this is my chance to to finally write a book. I, I started thinking about what the best untold story was, and it was soon clear that was Ethereum. The story of Bitcoin has been told, um, but there was no history of how Ethereum was created. Your first idea of writing this book happened in 2017, and then you started your research in 2017. You've been working on the book for three years? Um, A little bit over two years. So I... I had the idea of the book late 2017. I I did like the initial interviews with a, a couple of the very early team members late 2017, um, just to kind of draft out what the story would look like. The book deal and actual work on the book started in early 2018. I also got into crypto um, in late 2016. I saw the 2017 bubble and rise and hype. And I remember that I was sitting in my classroom. I was doing my MBA and I was trading Ethereum. And I bought an, an Ethereum uh, for probably around $60. And I remember sitting in class and I went from like a $1,000 investment to five thousand dollars <laughs> in in the in the time I was sitting in class, amazing. and so I, I, I well I mean it would be amazing if I didn't if I sold but I didn't <laughs> um, I so I saw the absolute insanity of 2017 something that I think nobody was prepared for and that's why a lot of people are bag holding right now how did that insanity fuel the desire and the sense of urgency to say I need to doc document this because you mentioned that earlier there, there must have been a fire and, and a realization that this isn't normal hmm. I was covering this space all throughout 2017 at Bloomberg it really did become my kind of second job um, I, I was a blogger in Bloomberg's Markets Live blog, but then I also started writing about crypto for the general Bloomberg Wire because there wasn't a dedicated cryptocurrency team or cryptocurrency reporters. So I became kind of the one of the handful of reporters covering this space in 2017 for Bloomberg. And that gave me a, an amazing platform to learn, like go on a fast track uh, to learning about, about crypto and, and really watching it from... Um, kind of the first first row all, all year uh, because I was producing almost daily news at Bloomberg on on crypto. You know, it's like a very fast paced rhythm of of news there. So I really had to be on top of everything that that was happening. And it was you know absolutely crazy seeing just the prices skyrocketing, like Wall Street becoming interested, futures launching, billions of dollars flowing into ICOs, uh, all, all the craziness of, of these uh, tokens and, and the entrepreneurs behind them and, um, you know, people buying a Lambo after 
you know, having invested a hundred bucks in Bitcoin in, <laughs> in 2010 or something, um, like all those news uh, making making headlines. It was such a crazy time. And yeah, you know, after after living living through that and, you know, looking at all this uh, craziness, but also realizing that there's an actual, you know, more fundamental potential there and an actual value there um, beneath all the, all this craziness is what made me, you know, really want to dive into this and, and spend all the time and energy that, that a book requires. You said more fundamental value. Can you tell me more about the more fundamental value and the title of the book? I think the title of the book is quite interesting. The Infinite Machine. Why is it The Infinite Machine? And how does that relate to what you just said, the more fundamental value? Yeah, so I, I guess what, what, I, what I'm referring to with value beyond the, the craziness of the ICO boom and 2017 bubble, you know, beyond all the, the, the price speculation, what gets people so excited about uh, Bitcoin, blockchain, Ethereum is this idea that for the first time you can first own your own assets without having to trust anyone else with them. Like you're not giving them away to a bank, you're, you're being your own bank. And that there's this global distributed network through which to transact that value. And that means that for the first time, you can send money globally without having to trust any intermediaries, without having them take a cut of, of the transaction and, and uh, without it taking days because everyone's lending out your, <laughs> your, your transfer to, to make money in between. You know, Ethereum is, is pushing this technology even further in that it doesn't only try to, to transfer value peer-to-peer, -peer, but it's, it allows um, developers to program that value in, in, in ways that, that enable more complex financial applications. And that's what's going on right now in, in, in decentralized finance. And, and that kind of connects with my title, The Infinite Machine. The Infinite Machine, obviously Ethereum, because it's, I, I didn't want to say blockchain. I wanted to make it more, more approachable and likening blockchains to a machine that's, you know, a network that's working and unstoppable and autonomous. And, and so Infinite, because, because it is unstoppable, it works as, as its program. And also Infinite because it's a platform for, that can support any applications that developers um, want to build on because it's you know has this Turing complete feature, which means that it can process any computer program um, that uh, developers build as long as you know they, they they pay the gas fees. So infinite in the the number of applications built on top and and infinite because it's unstoppable. One interesting aspect I know that you put in there was, and I don't know if it's, this was even well documented um, in the past or anywhere else, is the infighting in the creation of Ethereum. I think that if anybody's in the crypto space and they're tuning into this show, they know the basic um, background of Ethereum, Vitalik, his scholarship, going to Europe, uh, getting all the people together and try to see if this is a viable idea and going in and trying to make Ethereum. Mm -hmm. But I don't think a lot of people know about the people that were involved and the infighting of the direction of Ethereum from mm -hmm. profit, nonprofit, the crypto Google and all of that. And that allowed people to splinter off and break off from Ethereum to do their own things. Mm -hmm. Can you 
tell me a little bit about that. And I also want to know, like, what are some of the personalities in there? For example, Charles Hodgkinson. Was he more of a profit-driven kind of uh, individual opposed to, say, Vitalik, pushing for the nonprofit and more maybe? Starting out uh, my research, that was one of the things that surprised me the most was the, you know, the drama involved in in shipping Ethereum, that was something that I I wasn't really aware of either when, when I started researching the book. And yeah, there was there was a lot of infighting, I think, because the people involved were very different and coming from from different walks in life. Some some were programmers, others were hedge fund managers, others were poker players from you know uh, Romania to Canada. You know, you have people coming from from all over, different backgrounds, and and also there were many co-founders. Like there were eight co-founders. It would have been really hard to make that number of people coming from such different backgrounds uh, agree on one path forward for Ethereum. And so obviously they didn't, and and that led to kind of this um, these disagreements on on how to move forward. And yeah, a big one was whether Ethereum should be a nonprofit foundation or a company. And yeah, Charles Hoskinson was one of the main proponents of the for-profit company approach to Ethereum. They always thought it'd be a, a public open blockchain. But the question was, will, would they build a for-profit company to build applications on top of that layer? I guess kind of like what Consensus is doing today. Or would they uh, be a foundation to um, support different companies and projects building on, on Ethereum? So yeah, Charles and Anthony Diorio were the, the two kind of biggest um, proponents of the for-profit. Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a quick break in this conversation to tell you about Decrypt.co's news app. You can go to the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store and download Decrypt's very own news app so you can have news streamed to your phone. Stay up to date with crypto news with Decrypt's news app on your Google Play and Apple App Store. Now back to the conversation. I think it's interesting that Vitalik's idea for a nonprofit actually won out in the long run. And then we have the ICO bubble come in which basically a lot of people used the nonprofit platform that he created. Apparently, he wanted to do some good in the world. But then the ICO bubble happened where they're using his system to create mass amounts of profit, mass amounts of fundraising, mass amounts of of investment on hopes and wishes and and, and email addresses, which is pretty much the, the sums up a lot of the ICOs out there um, that went bust. What was Vitalik's feeling about this this gift to the world? And I don't want us to make that sound like you know he's. I don't want to make that sound weird, but <laughs> let's say this gift to the world, something that he was creating to be more um, altruistic in nature um, and the use of it, the eventual use of it when it came to profiteering, fundraising, and for the most part, greed. He wanted Ethereum to be open to anyone to build on, but there wasn't the expectation that everyone building on top of Ethereum would do it for charity. You know, there was obviously, you know, the expectation that people building on top of Ethereum could um, build sustainable projects and and projects with which they they, they could you know profit from um i i think you know it'd be 
very naive to expect the Ethereum platform or the Ethereum blockchain to, to succeed if people can't build and profit from the things that they built on top of it. So that was never an expectation that because he built an open blockchain, people would altruistically build stuff on top of it. I guess what I'm trying to ask, was he disappointed in the way that people eventually used his product, his creation? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's naive to think that you aren't, everybody's not going to make a nonprofit or anything for charity. You're going to have to make businesses. And that's what he wants. He wants people to build businesses on the Ethereum network. Um, but when you had a lot of scams, a lot of greed, a lot of just, you know, uh, uh, cash grabs, if you will, do you think that he was disheartened by that phenomenon? You know, like at, at the height of the bubble, he said something like the the, the entire uh, cryptocurrency market is at, um, I think it was like $500 billion at the time. But what have we actually created? Like, is it, have we created $500 billion in, in value? And the answer was um, clearly not. Like he, he was asking how many unbanked have we banked? Um, how many people have we uh, protected from inflation? Um, how many are are, are uh, transferring value and remittances um, with with blockchain technology? His answer was maybe some, but clearly not enough to justify this this bubble. So yeah, he 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 was. I don't know if disappointed was like his his feeling, but he he didn't think that that there was enough value being created to to justify the, the amount of money flowing into ICOs at the time. The ICO bubble eventually burst. Um, a lot of ICOs were under scrutiny, especially in the United States from the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of other countries started moving in and going, wait, this is uh, definitely a problem. And, you know, ICOs eventually morphed into STOs. And then, you know, the ICOs tr- tried to either reinvent themselves and get uh, registered in certain countries to, you know, with lenient rules to raise funds. But eventually that died off. And there's still ICOs, but it, it's not like 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. DeFi is coming in and now being the next hype on Ethereum. Do you think that DeFi is going to mirror the ICO bubble in the way of just everybody's going to try to do a, some sort of DeFi project to either profit or get investment or what have you? And did Vitalik or anybody else in involved with the founding of Ethereum show concern with DeFi or do they think that it is a of value way forward for Ethereum? There's a big difference between DeFi and most ICOs. In DeFi, all the um, platforms and and the, the main projects around it are actually live and delivering value to users. Maker, Compound, Aave, uh, Uniswap, Kyber, you know, all the big projects are are working, you know, they're, they're live, they're on mainnet, they have actual users, they're handling real funds, you know, they are delivering value and very exceptional value. You know, they're, they're delivering on things that just couldn't be done before, um, allowing people to lend their crypto and gain interest on them no matter where they are. Um, I think that's a huge use case. Uh, swapping tokens on, on DEXs, um, again, in an open way, that's another one. Borrowing, uh, you know, taking out collateralized loans in a permissionless way without giving out any information and, and just having um, to 
put down your assets to 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 borrow more assets in 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 these kind of smart contracts and and just like it's true open automated finance it's a huge breakthrough i think for tech and for finance they are building what i believe will be the next financial system it's you know it's it's really huge what's what's happening there i think that's very different from icos which oftentimes were you know just they were fundraising mechanisms that oftentimes didn't have much um the incentives weren't placed in in the right way you know once once these teams got uh, millions of dollars with no strings attached the incentive to actually deliver what they promised wasn't there so they they often just just didn't uh, deliver but i mean one thing to point out is that m many times they did and i think that's overlooked um, many of the ICOs which raised money in 2017 and 2018 are today's uh, biggest projects in, in DeFi and Ethereum. Um, like Kyber uh, Network is one. It's, it's now one of the biggest DEXs. Um, Banker is another one. It's another a very active DEX in Ethereum. OMG or uh, previously Omni Say Go is another one. Um, they, they are kind of spearheading layer two scaling solutions. So many of the ICOs that uh, raised money in 2017 and 2018 actually did deliver and are spearheading innovation um, in, in this new financial system that's being built there. What do you want people to get from your book? You, you wrote this book, you went through two and a half years, which is a feat. It must have taken a lot of grit, a lot of discipline, and a lot of focus to do two and a half years of research on something to uh, not know how it's going to be received. So now that it's out mm -hmm. and out there and people are, are getting it in their hands and reading it, what do you want people to either learn or take away from this book? So I, I wrote my book with the non-technical like non-geek person in mind I, I wrote it you know thinking of my best friend in chile like w would she understand this first off i i want people to enjoy reading the book i i want them to um just you know be able to be entertained by the story just the story itself is is interesting and 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 fun to read hopefully and then second i want them to, even if, if they're not fully convinced about blockchain technology and crypto, I, I want my, my book to be a way to kind of look into this alternative way of doing things, you know, uh, making people realize that crypto is not just about uh, flipping digital tokens um, and this like weird inter internet money. It's really this um, new platform and network which can be um, the new rails for the way things work and that these rails or, or this open network can actually in enable a better way of doing things you know that telling people or, or making them see that the way the internet works now or financial the financial system works now doesn't necessarily have to be that way and and that uh, these distributed networks can provide an alternative just a philosophical and personal question. Uh, during the beginning of our, our chat, you said Ethereum and the blockchain industry is bringing in 
the I don't know why Siri just said something to me, but apparently I, I caught I said Siri's name, but she started <laughs> to talk over here. I'm not interviewing you, Siri. Um, <laughs> you said being your own bank. I found that being your own bank is not only super risky, it's super complex, and it is very stressful. Is being your own bank, and this has nothing to do with the book, just out of your personal opinion, mm -hmm. is being your own bank really the future? Or is it just a nice um, soundbite or a nice idea to get everybody excited about blockchain that's not really practical? Right now, we're so early in the development of, of these technologies that it's not as practical as it should be. I mean, I know that there are teams working on, on ways to make it safer and the more practical. I think um, Argent Wallet is a great example of, of ways to be your own bank, but also have kind of the, the protections of more uh, traditional Web2 or, or, or FinTech applications. So there, there are ways in, in which developers are working to, to, to make this safer. And I do believe it's it's a way forward. Um, I, I I think to me it, it it's um it's logical that if there's a system that allows people to uh, to control their own funds and their own data without having to risk putting them in in, in the hands of other people, which can uh, sell sell their data and profit from them, um, or can be had as uh, they, they often are. If there's an alternative where you can control your own assets and also in, in this alternative, transacting with these assets is cheaper and faster and global, then it just makes sense to me that this is the future. I mean, why would we stick with a system that just works worse than what blockchain technology enables? That's a good point. If somebody walked up to you right now that was a skeptic, and, and said, can you briefly just tell me what is the future of blockchain technology? What would you tell them? I'd say the future of blockchain technology is that it will become the layer for a new financial system. And I tell them, compare how easy and seamless, global, cheap, fast it is to use the internet, how you can um, send videos and and chats and be in a Zoom conversation with people from all over the world and stream Netflix and Spotify and, and do all that from your computer or, or your phone. And it still takes five days to transfer value from one country to another and $50 to do so. The financial system simply hasn't kept up with the technological developments of the internet and it's time that they do and these global distributed networks are the way to do that my last question because this is something that i've always played with and i want to know your opinion after being so involved with cryptocurrency for the, for many years the problems that you just described about the financial system are being changed apple pay venmo paypal and many other systems are coming out to make it easier to send money peer-to-peer, -peer, easier to send money abroad, easier to send money with, with lower fees or no fees. If that's the goal that we want out of our money, out of transacting, does it really matter who brings us that reality? 
I don't think that what's what's being done in in fintech can come close to the solutions that blockchain technology can can bring. I mean, Apple Pay, Venmo, all those are U.S. Uh, fintechs, and they allow quick transfer of value within the U.S. If you want to transfer to people outside of the U.S., it's still very cumbersome to do so. So no, I don't think you know the, the rails in which these fintech companies are building were launched um, like in the 60s or 70s. That's that's kind of the infrastructure that we're dealing with. So they can only make improvements on the margin, and that's what they're doing. And second, I do think that it matters who brings it to us because in this system, we're only closed for-profit companies control all, all of our, our assets will just, you know, be subject to these huge monopolies forever, you know, to Googles and Facebooks and, um, and big banks. I think there's a better model forward where the, the platforms that we use first are open in, in that we, we're able to actually see what's being done with, with our money and, and, and with our data and open so that if we don't like how things are, are, are being run, developers can easily come and build an alternative. And, and that's, um, you know, another, another reason why platforms being built on, on blockchain technology, I, I believe, can, can beat the, the current platforms that, that we're using. It's, they're, they're more resistant to monopolies because they're, they're being built on open source code. And the, uh, the, the third reason that it, that it does matter who brings this to us is that these business models and, and, and these platforms with tokens in, in the middle allows you to actually own pieces of the, the products that, that you're using. So in, in DeFi, many of these, these platforms are issuing their own tokens for, for their users. And what these tokens allow is users to be able to propose and vote on governance of these systems. And so not only are you able to see exactly what's going on with your money and your assets, but you're able to participate in how these platforms are run. So it's it's a um, completely new way and I think a better way of, of doing things. Awesome. Camila Russo, author of The Infinite Machine, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, no, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this conversation. And you can find Cammy's book on Amazon, HarperCollins, and in its audio form on Audible. Those links are in the description. And please don't forget to wherever you're listening to this, make sure you're subscribed, leave us a five-star rating and a comment. It helps us stay visible so people can find these conversations and Decrypt's daily news. We'll see you on Monday where I have a special show about NFT tokens with some of our favorite NFT companies, super rare, Metafactory, and Cryptograph, as well as some of their artists. We'll see you Monday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, wear a mask, and wash your hands.